This episode of the Managing Major Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp is here to help. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you, and you can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. And all you have to do is just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions, plus you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. You can request a new therapist at no additional charge at any time. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Special offer to Manage Image Podcast listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash managingmadrid. That's betterhelp.com slash managingmadrid. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring the Managing Madrid podcast. This episode is also brought to you by Royal Sonesta, Washington, D.C., who are proud sponsors of the Managing Madrid podcast world tour. Big thanks to Royal Sonesta, who hooked us up and hosted our live podcast in D.C., one of our best podcasts we did in person. Wonderful crowd in D.C. Thanks for coming out. And uh, our next podcast in person will be Sometime during preseason, we're going to follow Real Madrid. I, you know, as far as we know, there's going to be a Clásico in Las Vegas, and we'll be there at the very least. So our plan is to follow Real Madrid around in preseason and uh, and uh, just do a podcast in person in every city they go to. So we'll keep you up to date on that. And coming up tonight is a recording from my Twitter spaces I did uh, over on my Twitter at Keon So. And I basically just hopped online because we didn't have a podcast recording plan tonight. And I kind of like to put out some kind of content every single day if I can, whether it's here or Patreon. Between the two of them, there's usually something almost every single day of the week. And uh, so I just hopped on, answered questions about transfers, tactical fits, different players, um, analytics, some of Real Madrid's history. And uh, people asked some wonderful questions tonight on Twitter, and I answered them. So enjoy it, throw it on, and uh, as always, we're going to get started with Derek Ray and Ray Hudson, and enjoy the podcast. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. So better man ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1 some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website frustrate podcast as well of course Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation it's a great question so the question from Angelo is now with uh, a midfield of too many assuming I, I assume that if that's going to become official it'll be official by tomorrow I, I i'm going to guess but we'll see um if we have a midfield of kamavinga chuameni fede valverde etc although that's not like the the absolute definitive midfield trio right away obviously we have Modric renewed we have cruz who is not going anywhere but your question is interesting i don't i don't know if your question necessarily pertains to next season in particular but it's definitely discussion for the future because if you have Chuameni, Kamavinga, Fede Valverde as your midfield trio, um, 
theoretically, you should be able to press more. You have high octane players, high energy players, three box to box midfielders in a sense. I mean, Chiuameni is a little bit more deep lying uh, of those three, but you have press resistance and you have the ability to press. So my answer to that question would be yes, I would assume so. However, I think it's more nuanced than that. And the reason I say that is because one, you're not going to see that midfield trio right away and you're not going to see it consistently together until maybe a few years down the road or two years down the road, let's say, because Mordes and Cruz are still going to play a lot of minutes. And the other aspect of this, it's really hard to just flip a switch and start pressing. So let's say if there's the odd game here and there that you'll have those three start together. Um, one thing that I think has been apparent when watching Real Madrid over the past few years, as, as you guys have all have seen too, I'm sure, is that if you're used to playing a certain way, it's hard to just suddenly shift gears game to game. So if all of a sudden you're pressing high with a new team on any given week, are you? do you have the habits ingrained in you to press properly? Or if you're going to press sporadically, is it going to just break down as we've seen? That's the question I have. So in theory, I think the answer to the question is, yeah, you should be able to press more. And actually, we've seen variations of that in the Champions League in the second half, when you start to see Kamavinga and Co. come in, you start to actually play a bit more aggressive. You start to be more aggressive with your pressing and you start winning the ball more higher up the pitch. But I also think it's more difficult to shift gears. So I, I don't know. It's I think it's one of those things. You'll see it probably more next season than we saw this season. But to have it as a consistent identity, the way Liverpool and City have it, for example, is going to be much more challenging to do right away. I think we may be a couple years away from that still. Mm. I, 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 it's interesting. Um, yeah, definitely. We will have to see at the end of the day what, what what's going to be the starting midfield next season. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting topic for the years to come. Thank you, Kian. Thank you, Angelo. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for tuning in. All right. Next up, let's see. Again, I'm not really entirely sure what the chronological order here is as these come in, but I'll just kind of, the way I see it, I will uh, take them. So the next one is Mac, jo Mac Jones Apologist, who has a uh, Kanye West quote in his bio. So let me just add him. Mac Jones, you there? Hey, Mac Jones, you're up, buddy. What's up? You're live, on air. Oh, what's up? What's up, Keon? What's up, man? Just wanted to say, long-time fan of uh, Managing Madrid. I think I started, like, in the 2017-2018 season, listening to y'all, and uh, since then I've been a big fan, so y'all do a great work. Um, My man. So just wanted to say thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, man. So, I just had a random argument that I've been, like, having... Uh, do you think, so I, I watch a lot of American football. I don't know how much uh, you really digest really with football, with uh, soccer being on at the same time, basically. Um, and, you know, you watch a lot of basketball. But um, I feel like analytics, and I'm not saying, like, it's a bad thing, but I feel like when I'm watching a lot of these sports, analytics, and the Liverpool game, for me at least, kind of highlighted it, where analytics are kind of getting too far, in my opinion, into how we're looking at the game. And, like, for example, in football, uh, I don't know how many people here really watch American football, but, like, the running back position, because of, like, this website called PFS, basically people now think that running backs don't even deserve a fair living wage. That's an exaggeration. 
But um, I think that watching basketball and soccer, I've seen a lot of analytics kind of like, I feel like it's just getting in the way of how we talk uh, as opposed to like how, so like the Liverpool game, right? We get outshot 24 to 2 or was it, I think it was 24 to 2, correct? I don't know off the top of my head, but it was a lot, yeah. But a lot of people, I feel like at the end of the day, a lot of people aren't seeing that, at least through when, how I watched it, I think Ancelotti wanted the game to come out like that, where they knew that Liverpool was going to, they were going to be on the attack the whole game, and you just take your chances, but we have to, us Madrid fans have to basically hear all of England say like, oh, well, Real Madrid stinks, they got, they stole this game, and I'm just wondering, like, I don't know, I feel like analytics and all this stuff are are kind of just getting in the way of how sports are going to be, like, 10 years from now, I feel like the way we talk about sports is going to be so different. Uh, I don't know if any of what I said makes sense, but... No, it does. It does. It absolutely does. Um, I actually think you opened up a massive can of worms here. This could be... I mean, this topic alone could drag this Twitter space out for a few hours. (laughs) It's It's a big one. Um... So let me, okay, so I'd like to keep you on for a second here. I, I may just have a dialogue back and forth with you. So on the note of the Liverpool game and the stats and uh, people losing their shit, people who aren't Real Madrid fans losing their shit over Real Madrid winning. I mean, first of all, apologies to any non-Real Madrid fans listening to this space. I, I assume most of my followers are Real Madrid fans, but I also am aware of the fact that there's many who don't uh, are not Real Madrid fans. So apologies to them, but... The, the tears of the non-Real Madrid fans were certainly delicious throughout this entire run. I mean, made it all satisfying. And I think part of the reason, I mean, it's kind of ironic because a lot of these uh, guys, these traditional guys who are against advanced analytics, who hate XG, uh, really ripped on XG for a time, but also ironically put a lot of emphasis on shooting stats and shots on target. And they use that as like the fact that Real Madrid were inferior, quote unquote inferior, when in reality it actually tells us a lot more than shots and shots on target because it can tell us um, there's one thing to create a high volume of chances, but there's one thing to create better chances. And I, and I think with Real Madrid, well, while everyone says we were unlucky and all this stuff, and I'll go on a little bit of a rant here because it, while I think it's funny for... Uh, as a Real Madrid fan, to see the meltdown of people getting frustrated with the way Real Madrid win. It's also just a little frustrating for me that the level of analysis is so basic um, that we actually have to resort to calling Real Madrid lucky. The fact, the fact of the matter is, um, the reason why Real Madrid were the best team in Europe this year is because we had the best goal scorer, we had the best winger, we had the best goalkeeper, we had the best ball winner we had moments of individual brilliance from one of the best central midfielders of all time we had a bench mob who bullied people we were psychologically superior to every single one of our opponents and that's not luck like enough that's just not luck that's we were just the best so i've said this before but you know during the city game for example there was a lot of people saying you know, we got lucky because Grealish missed that chance and, and Benzema scored his chance and or Rodrigo scored his chance. Dude, that's not our fault that that our goalkeeper was better than your goalkeeper and we outperformed you. Our striker was better than your striker. We outperformed you. 
part of the reason why teams are so great is because they can outperform their XG. So this has been a fact of the matter throughout entire Real Madrid's history. We've had the best players in the world. We had superstars who transcend all of these tactical, maybe, um, let's say if they were tactically outperformed on some level by the opposing manager, our players were better and our psychological um, development was just better than all of our opponents. So there, look, every single champion has luck and, um, and, and I'm, I, I acceptance, I'm accepting of that. But when I say every single champion has luck, that literally means every single champion has luck, right? Um, so I, I just I think it's a lazy argument to, to call this Real Madrid team lucky. But I did want to ask you, Mac, can you give a, an example of what you mean where, where you think like maybe analytics will be taken too far 10 years from now? Like, well, can you give an example of where that that might be the case? Oh, yeah, yeah. OK, so w- what you're saying is, uh, is interesting. And I think, look, I, I will say this. I think. Now, in the year 2022, the fans are smarter than they've ever been. We all, like, a lot of these analytics and stats are all democratized, so we have access to them. We have the ability to read tactical analysis way more than we did five, even five years ago. But really, like, if you, like, back when I was following the teams, uh, primarily, our, uh, at the early stages of my fandom in like 98, 99, 2000, we didn't have any of this stuff, right? And I think, there is this, in 10 years, we're going to understand the game even more than we do now. But I also think at some point, we also have to remember that football is an art and we're supposed to be entertained, right? So I'll give you an example of this. The analytics committee, a lot of them hate Zinedine Zidane. And look, hate is a strong word, but they don't think he was a good player. Like if you go l- read some of the books of some of the people who are prominent in the in the tactics and analytics field, they will tell you Zinedine Zidane was overrated as a player, um, which has a lot of flaws. Because to me, Zidane is the the poster boy of what football is supposed to be. That is supposed to be that we're supposed to be entertained. He made it look like an art. He reminded you that it's not all about numbers. On, on the flip side, I also think the, the argument against him in that sense is flawed because we didn't have advanced analytics for Zinedine Zidane. We didn't have key passes available for him. I, I think he would have dominated that aspect. I think he would have dominated things like ball carrying, progressive passes. We didn't have any of that stuff. So we just look at his goals and assists and we're like, oh, well, he wasn't as good as these, these X amount of players. The other thing about Zidane is that he was a big game player. World Cup final, Champions League finals, Euro finals, you just knew he was going to show up. And so I think the spreadsheet point that you made, Mac, is interesting because I can tell you for a fact, for a fact, I'm not even making this up because I know these people, um, a lot of the people you see even tweet stuff about a certain player, it's purely based on looking behind a statistical chart that stats bomb puts up puts out you know and, and they don't watch that player so they don't understand maybe the nuances uh or maybe to understand how to interpret those stats having said that i also think stats are unbelievably important in understanding the game and it also just backs up and debunks a lot of narratives so for example i don't know let's say um the, okay so tony cruz is a good example okay tony cruz the lowest level of 
uh, football Twitter is the brigade of people who say Tony Cruz is a sideways pass merchant. So that's what the eye test is telling their brain. For some whatever reason, that's what they're they're told. They watch Cruz play and the guy they're like, this guy's a sideways pass merchant, which is insane. And you can just literally show them the data. Tony Kroos leads Europe in progressive passes, forward passes, diagonal long-range passes, and does that at a prolifically high accuracy, game in, game out, and is one of the best in Europe. And that's just definitive proof that your sideway pass merchant argument is bullshit, right? So look, there's a lot of pros and cons. I think the best analysts that I've seen can know how to analyze the numbers and watch the games and can couple both and can tell the story and give us the most nuanced, detailed, accurate analysis that we have available. I think, you know, I don't know if they're, maybe they're on this, do a quick scan. I don't see them on this chat, but like one of my favorites, like for example, Ryan O'Hanlon, so that who we have on the Managing Madrid podcast regularly. I think a lot of the Managing Madrid writers like Jose, Matt, Om, like these guys are really good at that as well. Um, so yeah, that's just, I could go on for hours about this topic. It's very interesting, but I, I do think it in 10 years, Mac will be more educated about the sport we've ever been, but there's also going to be the danger of, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who probably aren't going to be watching the games and then just writing analysis based on the numbers they see. And I think that in that, when it gets to that stage, we've lost, I think the art of football and we've forgotten what, what it's supposed to be in that it's supposed to be entertainment primarily. Relatable story. Look, Mac, I'm going to move on to uh, the next request because uh, I want to just get it through a few more before we wrap it up. I got it, Keon. I, I appreciate you, you know. Thank you for the time. Thank you for all the work that you and Managing Madrid do, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. I appreciate you, Mac. Thanks for taking the time to join the, the Twitter space. Thanks, buddy. All right. We're going to move on. Uh, let's see. Oh, there's a guy here. His name is M.M. I assume that means Managing Madrid. I like to think that. Uh, but I think we're going to take, uh, Narek has had his uh, virtual handout for a while. So let me bring in Narek. Uh, add as a speaker. Narek is connecting. What's up um, to Rahul Kavlapale, who I see joined here. Managing Madrid writer and obviously uh, one of our Toronto speakers in the podcast. Narek, you there, buddy? Narek, can you hear me? All right, I'm going to bring someone else in until... Oh, wait, Narek, I think you're... Is it working now? Unmute. I think Narek is trying to speak, but some for some reason his mic isn't uh, working. So we'll move on. Yer, Y-E-R-R. -R. Uh, save it, that dude. I'm going to bring him in. Add as a speaker. Y-E-R-R, -R. are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, man. Welcome to the show. How you doing? How's it going? I, uh, I, I'm also a Patreon, by the way. All right, my man. That's what I'm talking about. A absolutely. I love listening to your guys' podcast. It's, uh, it's been a blessing in disguise being here in the States and being able to you know, get the most up-to-date Madrid information. So love it. appreciate you guys over there. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Where in the States are you? I'm actually uh, in New Jersey. And... Uh, I was I was actually attending the final at the Pena Club in uh, Manhattan at Playwright, and that was uh, out of this world, to be honest with you. I saw some videos. Uh, I mean, Playwright is iconic, right? I mean, it's just a place where the Pena always goes. So, 
Yeah, the next time uh, we're in New York for a preseason game, we'll definitely do a podcast at, at Playwright. It's uh, we've done a couple there, and it's a uh, it's an iconic iconic spot. But yeah, what's on your mind today? I, I just want to talk through uh, specifically, like you know, Madrid's transition plan here. I know you know we we've now signed too many. We have Camavinga, we have Valverde, but it, it still seems like like we're missing like the Modric. Uh, I guess, like, replacement in a sense where we have that almost, like, creative midfielder. And I don't necessarily know if there is one out there today that plays the Luka Modric role. But, like, what are your thoughts on over the next five years Madrid being able to actually replace Luka Modric down the road um, given, you know, we don't have a direct replacement right now. And it, it seems like that's the one place we really need to, like, Fulfill after you know Benzema replacement is that Luka Modric replacement, and just want to hear, you know, what are your thoughts? Any targets that are out there? Anyone that comes to mind? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think my answer to this, unfortunately, is I don't think you can replace him. Um, as much of a bummer of an answer that is, and the reason I say that though is because I think Modric is a complete unicorn. It's very, very rare that you see a player like him in football history. I know it's kind of a weird comparison, but you know I, I've had to go back and watch so many Alfredo Di Stefano games from the 50s for my upcoming book. And I think Modric, in a way, he might be the closest thing I've seen to Di Stefano stylistically because Di Stefano did everything. When you look at Modric, the reason why it's hard to replace him is essentially because he covers for the right back. He defends deep. He's making that run into the half space. He's crossing, making diagonal crosses into the box. He's making outside of the boot crosses from the left side to the far post. He's dribbling past players. He's progressing the ball. He's aesthetically breathtaking to watch. He's a leader. He's humble. It's, he does a bit of everything, and, I, and replacing that is pretty much impossible. Like, How many player profiles are you going to run into that you could realistically sign that fit the timeline that could replace what he does? I, I don't... I'm being really honest. I don't think there's a single single player in world football that could take that role. And certainly not anything attainable or anyone realistic anyway. Um, through, I think you have to just kind of change the style of play. That, that, it comes down to that, you know. That's the problem or good problem, I guess, when you have generational unicorns throughout Real Madrid history have come and gone. We've never been able to truly replace them. I think we've... In some ways, we've gotten lucky with certain transitions. You know, like after Hierro, we had Ramos come in. After Roberto Carlos, we had Marcelo come in. So we've gotten lucky in certain positions. After Redondo left, we didn't fill that void for a long time. Makaleli came in. He was a complete... You'd have, you had to change your style of play with Makaleli because he was a completely different profile in the anchor role than Redondo. And then after Makaleli, you just didn't replace him for years. So I think you just have to... You may have to just change the style of play. Um, with Fede, you get some of the aspects like the, the covering of the ground that Modric has, but you don't get Modric's progressive passing. With Kamavinga, you get certain other attributes, but maybe you don't get like the, the elite interceptions that Modric has. Um, although I don't even know if that's true because Kamavinga is pretty amazing at reading the game from that sense. But you may just kind of have to piece it together and play differently. What I will say is that when you look at Modric and even Casemiro, we can bring him in the discussion Part of the reason they've been so vital is because Real Madrid, structurally speaking, haven't been that great over the course of the last decade or two. And so players like that are essential because Modric 
you know, even through, during that three-peat run, he was basically, it was the equivalent of like a sinking ship and he was running around putting a patch on one side of the boat and running to the other side, putting another patch on that side of the boat. He was basically just keeping the ship afloat. If your tactics are a little bit better and your ship is sailing smoothly, maybe the the need for such a player is lessened. So I think you may have to just also change your structure and how you play. That's the biggest argument with Casemiro too, right? Casemiro is vital to this team because he basically saves the day with his heroism and defending in zone 14. But if you also had a better structure, you wouldn't need a kind of savior like that. So so it's it's to answer your question, I don't <laughs> I don't think you can replace them like for like. You but you have to just kind of change your style of play if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree there. I think Luka Modric is like one of a kind. And I think that brings up like my next question to you, which is like in the all-time list, and I know Barcelona fans love to debate this, but is Luka Modric, in your opinion, a greater midfielder than both uh, Xavi and Iniesta? Or where do you rank all three? Oh, boy. Um, I put them on the same level. I think... Um, I think people who make it too definitive that, you know, Iniesta was better for sure or or Xavi was better for sure or Modric was better for sure, I think are missing the point that all three of these guys probably sit at the same table. Um, We all talk about what Xavi's done and he's, to me, he's arguably the greatest central midfielder of all time, but I also think Modric is the greatest central midfielder of all time, arguably as well. And if you look at all of the great things that Xavi's done, I don't know if there's any midfielder who could have, who could have carried Croatia at that age to a World Cup final the way Modric did. Like I just don't see Xavi doing that because what was required of Modric physically, um, and also the amount of ground he needed to cover in that tournament, I don't know if anyone else could have done it. I don't think Xavi could have done it because it was a completely different system to what he was used to playing at Barcelona. And also the way Modric's age has been on another level. I mean, it's so I, I think they all kind of sit at the same table. I don't know if I'd put necessarily definitively one, two, three. I think they're just kind of sitting in the same in the same room at the same table, if you ask me. That's the way I see it. Yeah, I, I think it's a fair debate. But at the same time, I think Xavi and Iniesta kind of have the same like Golden State Warriors effect that Steph and Clay get, where they were both at their peak at the same time and kind of grew up in the right environment. Whereas, you know, a Modric had to figure it out on his own in multiple different environments, right? And I think that's where I personally put more respect on what Modric did just because it was easier to stay at Barcelona, retire, you know, at 33 and go play and wear Japan and Qatar. Whereas Modric is like still doing it. And I don't know, in my opinion, like I, I respect NBA players that do that as well. More so than the ones that, you know, just stay in a safe environment. But, um, yeah, I, I get that. I, I have one more question for you. And that's it, looking ahead here. Um, I, I know there's, there's a lot uh, that we hear out of the, what I call the Barcelona uh, PR firm, which is ESPN, uh, <laughs> that, that highly rates their youngsters and said that, you know, Pedri and Davi are the next, the next best thing since sliced bread. But Real Madrid have also invested in their youth. And, like, you know, it's, I know it's hard to say, like, where players will end up in five years. But at least over the next season, 
who would you say would have a greater impact? The, the Barcelona youth that they have, their main ones, you know, the Pedris, the Gavis, the Rujos, and, and the likes of those, or the Madrid youngsters, the Camavingas, the Schumannis, the Valverdes, the Militaos, the Viniciuses and stuff. And, you know, who, who, who would you say out of the top three on each team would have the greatest impact? Um, I think my for the first thing I'd say is that I hope all of these players you mentioned stay healthy because there was for the longest time the Classico was kind of just watered down in the post Ronaldo Messi era and certainly like especially after Ramos left it was some of the spice was taken out of it I think it's kind of come back with Xavi poking at the media a little bit and also some of their youngsters playing if you have everyone healthy from Ansu Fati to Pedri to Gavi um, to whoever I'm missing from their team, you know, depending on Frankie, if he stays or not, to Kamavinga, Fede, all these guys, you know, it's going to be a really interesting classical for, for many years to come. And I think that's a really good, healthy thing to have for the league. To answer your question, I don't know. I don't, I, I really tried to steer away from these predictions because you just really never know. I think Pedri is an unbelievable player. I don't really agree with the the contingent that thinks that he's overrated because of the Barca PR machine. I think I really do genuinely believe Pedri is an awesome player. I also think Gavi is awesome too. Um, I also, by that same token, I think Camavinga and Fede Valverde are two of the most exciting central midfielders around and I wouldn't trade them for anyone. I will just answer by saying I think it's really interesting. It'll be really interesting. The one thing I saw, like I don't know if you saw... You probably did. I mean, most of football Twitter has seen it by now, and I'm not really the most active football Twitter guy. I just, but it just stuff comes across my feed. But a lot of my the people I follow were were retweeting it. Someone had done that thing where they compare the three, like Frankie, Pedri, Gavi with Kamavinga, Chuomeni, and Fede, and basically their takeaway was that Kamavinga, Fede, and Chuomeni are like the physical guys, while the Barca trio are like the more skilled brainiacs. And I think that's super ridiculous because people just assume be- because Kamavinga, Fede, and Chuomeni are physical freaks and basically chiseled Greek gods who can play box-to-box and bully people that they're not technically gifted. Those three are all brilliant on the ball. I mean, Fede is literally one of the best ball carriers in the world. Kamavinga breaks lines with his dribbling his press resistance his off-ball movement Chuomeni is an absolute um an elite quarterback from his position he can play some progressive passes those three are so brilliant on the ball they have the physical aspect too and also on that on that note Gabi and Pedri are also more physical than I think we give them credit for too um so I think it kind of did a disservice to them to to label it that way I, I I honestly think that all those midfielders are awesome it'll be really interesting I think it's healthy for the league to have this much challenge in the Classico again. That's where I stand on it. The- okay, so I guess let's narrow down the question. If you had to pick one youngster over the next year to have the biggest impact out of both teams, pick one. As Vinicius. Fair enough. Yeah. I think Vinicius is going to, if I had to gun to my head right now, out of all the players we just listed, I mean, obviously not counting Benzema, who's going to win the Ballon d'Or this year. If he doesn't, then we should just shut it all down. We should just leave Earth. But um, 
I think Vinicius is the most likely to win at least one Ballon d'Or out of that list of players. At least, if I had to guess right now. So I, 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 I would put him as the number one game changer, future superstar out of that entire list. Great. Well, thanks for taking my questions, Kia. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for joining and thanks for the support on Patreon as well, okay? And stay tuned. We're going to send you the link uh, for the Emergency Chew of Many podcast when that happens. Thank you, man. Can't, can't wait. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. Um, all right. So let me see. Do a quick scan. How much time do we have? I'd like to aim for 10 more minutes. Realistically, each question has been like 10 hours, so I don't know how realistic that is, but I also want time to upload this on Managing Richard podcast feed, etc., and also just have some time to do some other work but um the next person requested is i don't know how to say the name because it's in a different uh, alphabet but 21 years old canada germany with the mbappe picture in his profile let me bring him on out as a speaker tsr Let's see if this works tsr are you there hi hi how you doing Good, thank you. Can you tell me what your what it says in your name? Because I can't. It's, uh, it's ten beer. What is it? Sorry. Ten beer. Okay, I'm not going to try to repeat it, but uh, I trust you. Thanks for joining, buddy. <laughs> What's on your mind tonight? So my question is, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Jeremy Pino and uh, Joao Felix? Jeremy Pino and Joao Felix. Got it. Um, Jeremy Pino, right? Um, Okay, so let me start uh, by saying that Pino Pino is one of my favorite young Spanish players. Um, I don't know if your question is necessarily specific to whether Real Madrid should sign him or not. I'm not entirely sure, but in a vacuum as a player, I really like Jeremy Pino. Kind of still raw, but he's also a teenager. And every time I've watched him with the Spanish national team, as well uh, as with Villarreal, I've, I've been thoroughly impressed with him. I think he's a he's a really good goal scorer for his age. And he's a, a good passer, a promising dribbler, and also works really hard defensively. That, that also um, should be noted as well, as talented as, as he is on the ball. He's also very good off the ball as well. Presses really well and reads the game well. Um, who was the other guy you asked? Zhao Felix, right? Okay, so Zhao Felix for me always wins bonus points because I gravitate towards players who are graceful. And this goes back to the earlier discussion in the podcast that, you know, bonus points for Zidane, bonus points for Modric who make the game look beautiful. I kind of like how Zhao Felix has a similar bounce to Kaka, the way he carries the ball up the field and he glides past challenges and bounces off challenges. I really like that about him. And also just because he's a great player. Um, I think that, I don't think Atletico was the greatest place for him to go in hindsight. Um, But I think he's an undeniably great player that I think is going to be awesome for many years to come. But I do worry if he's actually in the best scheme for his for his sake you know i, I would have liked to see him at a, at a different club to be quite honest but you know I, i'm a huge fan of both both pino and and Jao felix uh should like should we try to get Joao felix like he would be a great addition to this team he could uh, be the 
Uh, it's an interesting question. I think that Atletico feels that Simeone isn't that coach for him, isn't the right coach for him. Like he doesn't have the freedom to do stuff. My biggest concern with Jao Felix in the Benzema role is that he's not going to give you the Benzema goals. I think he has to be um, a more complementary shadow striker. And you can't really, you can't pair with him with Benzema necessarily because Benzema already does a lot of that link-up play in addition to scoring. But Jao Felix only kind of really does the link-up play but not the goal scoring aspect of it. Um, so I don't think you can put him in the Benzema role. I think you can pair Zhao Felix with a striker who's not a link-up player. But to see the fit at Real Madrid, I struggle with with this current Real Madrid team as much as I love him. Um, so I struggle to see where he would fit because he's kind of a shadow striker who doesn't score goals prolifically like Benzema does. And that's, that's, that's my concern with, with Zhao Felix, to be quite honest. I mean, if you get like the 15 goals he scored at Benfica in 2018-2019, that's a different story maybe. But I just don't know if I believe in his pure goal-scoring ability because I think Benzema does that at such an elite level that you can't really... I don't think you can really pair the two together unless you, you shifted your style of play, if that makes sense. Yeah, thanks for taking my question, Kian. All right, thank you so much for joining, man. Uh, let's take at least one more. And we're going to go with Pipe. So Pipe, add as a speaker. He has a nice BMW in his cover photo. Pipe, you there? You got to unmute your mic. Oh, got it. Okay, can you hear me? I can, yeah. How you doing, man? Good, good. Oh, I didn't think you would pick me, but awesome. Um, really appreciate good work. Thank you. Okay, so I was going to ask because last year you guys had one of these, uh, you know, I think, I don't remember if it was about Christmas or at the end of the season, but you guys were ranking a lot of our players. And back then, you guys had ranked Benzema at, as one of, you know, our top strikers, kind of more based off of longevity mm-hmm. um and so but i think this season he's not only you know been amazing longevity wise but obviously you know he's been super clutch so do you think do you rank him a lot higher before or a lot higher than you ranked him before or do you think he's still around the same spot that you guys had him you know last year so do you you mean historically speaking, right? Like all time? Yes, as far as like all time. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I rank him astronomically higher than I did a few years ago. I mean, I um, I think I've said this before, but uh, in my upcoming book, I'm ranking every single Real Madrid player. I mean, look, not every single Real Madrid player in history, but basically the top 120 or so. And no player has shot up the ranking since I started writing the book than Benzema did. Because he's basically, if you go back to 2018 and until now, I mean, he's basically only behind Pushkas now in terms of strikers. He passed Raul and uh, that was in a way hard for me to, to, to comprehend because Raul is my idol and my favorite player growing up. But... Benzema has, has passed him. He has a better goal-scoring ratio and he's more goals. I mean, it's just, 
now he has five Champions League titles. What he did this year has really cemented his legacy. It's only Pushkas left in front of him now. So, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, he's astronomically higher than he was a few years ago. I mean, I, I think Modric and Cruz in some sense are also much higher than they were a few years ago. Those are the three, I would say, because Marcelo hasn't really aged that well. But, I mean, those three, Benzema, Modric, and Cruz, have, have really went up the list for me. There's no doubt. Benzema, but Benzema definitely spearheads the ascension. Thanks, Pipe. Appreciate your time. We're going to take one more. Um, and I'm just going to go based on who I think, and I could be wrong, but just based on uh, who has been in the request for the longest amount of time, to be fair. And I believe that is Mo with the golden Real Madrid avatar. So uh, I'm going to add him as a speaker. And this will probably be the last one. Mo is connected. Mo, are you there? Hey, great, Mo. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Fantastic. So I'll keep it. I'll keep it quick. Hopefully, but it's a, it's a pretty big topic. Okay. Um, uh, you know, growing up in the '90s and watching football, Serie was the was the dominant force. You know, you said you had the you know the Cruyff Milan, and then after that, Ancelotti came with Milan and the Roma, the Lazio, all those great Serie teams. Inter, uh, but then you, you saw the decline, right? Like it's, it started moving towards uh, La Liga with Zidane, Ronaldo moving over. But now we're seeing a, a, a new shift, right, towards PL with a new TV um, deal, as well as the big state clubs. So you have PSG, and you have Chelsea and, and City, and they're pumping in money. And so you see players, like you see the quality of, of the players sort of in La Liga um, slowly uh, dropping. Um, but it's also across, like, I mean, you see a lot of the concentration of just the, the following in terms of the people, in terms of the popularity, in terms of the, um, you know, the, the, where the players are going towards the PL clubs and the state clubs. What do you think is, like, in terms of the future of football, where do you see that going? How do, how do you fix, uh, how do you fix that if you do even think that it needs to be fixed? So that's number one. Number two is, um, just recently, the past few days, we've been linked with a player that, uh, you know, it's, you know, has been sort of known. Zidane has been one of his biggest fans, which is uh, Ryan Turkey from Lyon. Uh, past season, he hasn't been, didn't play much with Lyon. Kind of stagnated there. One year left on his contract. Uh, would you take a gamble there on, and bring him over, or uh, is that someone that you know maybe with what you've seen the past year, someone you should pass on? Okay, so uh, I'll start with the first part of the question then, which is basically the future of football and the shift towards the oil state clubs and the Premier League money, etc. Uh, unfortunately, I don't, I don't trust UEFA to do anything about it. So I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. You know, uh, it goes without saying, but. I follow a lot of American sports and primarily NBA and the, the, it makes it easier to fix things in that league because it's a singular league with one identity with only one hand in the pot. There's too many hands in this pot in Europe to fix something and put put everyone on the same page. There's too many different leagues, there's federations within leagues and then there's it's it's very confusing. I don't I don't think it's going to fix and I also don't think they care to get they, they care to fix it because they're just getting too many too much money in their pockets, unfortunately, to care about it. So I don't think it gets fixed. But I, what I will say is that 
what we hope for the sake of humanity. <laughs> I mean, you look at the culture at PSG, it's shockingly bad, right? All the stories that come out of it, the behavior of the management, um, the way they treat their players, the way they treat their staff, even like on the lower levels of the salaries of people who just work in the stadium and stuff like that. It's all public. It's it's not a good. So you hope that the you can you contrast that with the culture at Real Madrid, for example, and it's phenomenal. The unity in the team, the unity in the staff, from the coaching staff to the players, everything. It's 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 harmon it's harmonized, and I think you saw that in this Champions League run. So you hope that that appeals to players and can at, at the very least sway players to to go that route and, and join these teams. There's that. Um, and what was the other question? Sorry. Uh, Ryan, oh, Cherky. Uh, yeah, look, man. I, you know, someone who can play on the right wing and is highly talented. He's a really good passer, really good dribbler. I think he actually works as a line breaker. My question with that is, and he's young. I mean, he's eighteen, right? So it's not it's not a terrible gamble to take. And you would hope, I guess, that he can bounce back after playing a little bit less this year than he did the year prior. I guess my question is always with this right wing stuff. I think we could use a really good right winger, but that right winger has to be a certain profile that he's good enough to justify taking minutes away from Rodrigo. And if that player doesn't fit the bill, I would rather allocate every single second to developing Rodrigo and just getting him better and better. So would someone like Cherky come to play a more minimal role? And if so, would that be good for his development? Um, so I'm not necessarily for or against it, but I, I think he's in that weird spot of like, he's not good enough. He's not as good as Rodrigo. And if he's coming, would he even get much playing time? And would that be good for his development? You know, so un unless you maybe you buy him and you stash him and you loan him, maybe even back to Leon or something like that and see how that goes. But um that's that that's the only concern I would have for someone someone like Cherokee. All right, Mo, thank you for the question. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh we're gonna wrap it here, guys. So if you guys join late, this entire recording will you'll be able to listen to it on Twitter spaces after the fact. I'm also gonna upload it on the Management Podcast feed. So if you would prefer you can just also just throw it on your podcast app. It actually might be better that way because actually I'm recording this separately on my laptop through the microphone. So my voice will actually sound better on the podcast feed than it will on the Twitter space if you want, if you're interested in listening to that way. Also, if you're not a patron yet, we are doing an emergency too many podcasts. If that deal becomes official soon, we're going to send out a Zoom link to our patrons and we'll do a live call together to discuss it. Uh, and that's it. I don't really got anything else to plug. Just, I guess just follow me if you're in here and you haven't followed me. And uh, follow all the work we do on Managing Madrid. That's it. I'm signing off. Love you guys all. I appreciate you. And take care.